You're listening to the We Are Libertarians podcast network. Find all of our shows at wearelibertarians.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weightloss. That's plushcare.com slash weightloss. Episode 20, The Paradox. Welcome to The Paradox with your attending, Dr. Eric Larson. He is a practicing anesthesiologist and clinical assistant professor at Michigan State University College of Human Medicine. Listen in as he takes you behind the scenes of what practicing medicine in today's ever-changing world is like with another doctor. The Paradox is a fun and accidentally informative show for physicians, patients, or anyone who has ever found themselves in a waiting room. Welcome to The Paradox. I'm your host, Dr. Eric Larson. Welcome to episode 20 of the show. This week, I'm welcoming back from episode one, my good friend, Dr. Meg Edison, a pediatrician from Grand Rapids, who is at the forefront of the fight for MOC. And if you recall from previous episodes, MOC is a maintenance certification. We're going to discuss a little recap today on what's going on in the MOC battle. Now, as many of you may know, if you've been listening to the show over the last few weeks and months, uh, I had a tr- personal tragedy in my family where my 14-year-old son passed away in a car accident about a month ago now. Uh, so this episode was recorded actually about four days before his death. Uh, so since that time, uh, in the MOC world anyway, the court case that we will be discussing, where uh, we're referring to Wes Fisher, uh, who is uh, the star from episode nine, where we talk about the shenanigans uh, with the American Board of Internal Medicine, his court case has actually been fully funded. Uh, they were raising $150,000, and they had managed to do that within the last week or so, I believe. So that that procedure is started. I guess I'm not sure exactly how the process works with the lawyers, but they have their initial funding to um, start getting all their stuff together. And I'm not, again, there's not a whole lot of detail, partly because they don't want the defendants to know who they are and also the sort of the legal op- machinations, I suppose you'd say, of how that's going to proceed. I would again encourage you to become a subscriber to the show. If you've not yet subscribed, go to your favorite podcast player, whatever you use, and hit the subscribe button. Uh, that way it comes automatically to you each week. My plan is still at this point to go weekly. Um, I've just actually booked my next guest out for next week's show. So I'll probably try and stick to a weekly schedule um, as family issues dictate. And it certainly gives me a nice diversion and um, something to do. So for that reason, we'll keep things going. And there's a lot of stuff to talk about in medicine, and I want to keep you guys informed. Show notes page will be found at theparadox.com slash 020. Can't believe I've actually made episode 20. And as promised, I will have my wife on at some point where we will discuss what happened with her family. Uh, it was not the episode that I had anticipated having with her. I do plan on having her on in the future as well for a more fun episode on The Paradox where we'll be discussing doctory stuff. Again, I would encourage you to go to patreon.com. There you can support the show for just 50 cents an episode or $2 a month. You can become an entry-level supporter. It gives you access to some episodes recorded on other podcasts, also the pilot episode. If you join in the other upper levels, you will get not only a shout-out, possibly be invited to the show if you pick the highest level, uh, but certainly you're going to have access to more bonus episodes and information but also you'll get a gift that will be sent at the end of the year because I greatly appreciate the support which 
all the support that goes to the Patreon at patreon.com slash the paradox. All that support goes towards the production and promotion of this show and provides me a lot of encouragement. Um, after what's gone on with my family, I appreciate all the well wishes that came from family and friends and supporters of the show. Uh, it's meant a lot to me. And uh, I guess I can't thank you all enough. So without further ado, Dr. Meg Edison on maintenance certification update. Enjoy. This is your host, Dr. Eric Larson. I'm here with my very good friend, Dr. Meg Edison, a repeat guest for the show. Thanks for coming back to the studio. No problem. Nice studio. It's even better this time, right? The studio. The studio is, it's had some upgrades. It's a little bit better lighting now in huh? the studio. <laughs> nice. This is why we do an audio cast so that you don't have to see. So we move from various rooms in the house. That's the behind the scenes uh, giveaway. Well, we're going to be talking about maintenance certification again. For those of you who have been with me since the beginning, in episode one, we described what maintenance certification was and why this is a problem for physicians in this country and why as a patient or someone who sees a doctor from time to time or has family members, obviously, uh, it's important for you to know about this problem because this is going to affect your care. It's going to affect my care as I get older because at some point I'm I'm going to get sick. Uh, And so that's why we're focusing on it and, and it is not just physicians that are affected by this, so it is also you. On episode nine, I talked to Dr. Wes Fisher, who's an electrophysiologist um, in Chicago, and he had a lot more detailed information about the specifics of the American Board of Internal Medicine and their shenanigans, I guess you'd say. And so I'm bringing back Dr. Edison, who is a statewide activist in the, in the Michigan State Medical Society and also just out and about doing her thing. And she's, she's battled the, the board here, uh, the American Board of Pediatrics, because she's a pediatrician. And so first, I'd like to welcome you to the show, and then we'll get into the rest of the episode here. Hi. Thanks. <laughs> so, so my first question to you is, you have a very personal story about the American Board of Pediatrics. I mean, I think you went through your story about hand-washing, where you had to basically tell them that you weren't hand-washing adequately in order to pass their module as part of the main certification process. So this time, you actually had a, you dealt with a, the board where you had re- fulfilled all the requirements, is my understanding, and yet they still would not certify you, which caused some problems. Can you go into that story a little bit? Yeah. So this was probably oh, almost two years ago now where I had, um, I was on my third round of MOC. I obviously passed my boards once, I'd passed them again, done multiple modules, washing my hands, sending them the data. Um, I'd done multiple online um, education modules as well, and I got done with all of those. And they said, thank you for doing all of this, now give us $1,300 or you're going to lose your board certification. So I was like, huh, really? Well, let's see what happens if I don't pay. So I didn't pay. Um, And Sure enough, uh, I got a letter from the American Board of Pediatrics that you know, asked me if this was an error. Did I, did I forget to pay? Um, and I just didn't respond because it clearly wasn't an error. Um, and they uh, took away my board certification. And the way the, the American Board of Pediatrics works is, is a little different. So with the American Board of Internal Medicine and some other boards, if you pass your boards once, they'll never take your name off the website. They'll always say, like, you're board certified, and are you participating in MOC, yes or no? Um, American Board of Pediatrics, they do the same thing. Are you board certified? Yes. And then are you participating in MOC? If you're grandfathered, it'll say yes or no. But if you are not grandfathered, if you um, are not participating, they don't put a no next to your name. They just erase your name altogether, which I learned can create all sorts of havoc when it comes to credentialing with hospitals and insurers. So um, for me, about uh, 30 days after I didn't pay, I got a letter from Blue Cross Blue Shield of Michigan telling me that I needed to be board certified or I couldn't see my patients. So um, I said, all right. I wrote him a letter and explained, look, I've, I've done above and beyond. I've done more than any grandfather doctor has done. I've, t- I've taken my boards and passed twice. I've done all of these things. It really is about paying these people more money. It's not going to make me a better doctor. I, you know, I don't think I should have to pay. I'm, I'm clearly keeping up to date in my field. Um, so they gave me a little extension. Um, the extension uh, came and, and went, uh, and I, 
uh, wrote them a letter knowing I'd read my contract and it said I could meet with their um, their board of directors and explain what was going on and why I you know why I had the position I had um, I was, you know, also want to discuss the legislation we had in Michigan where we're going with this and just explain why I didn't feel like I needed to pay this money um, within I didn't even get to get to the hearing they um, before I could even have my hearing they were already sending letters to my patients telling them that I was no longer um, a provider they could see and they were going to reassign them to new doctors and so um, I just it was panic in my office so my right fillers my partners it was just chaos um, you just it was something you couldn't fight so um, I actually did lose patients over this they left the office not realizing um, that I actually was I hadn't actually kicked off the panel yet right so they thought you might have died or whatever know. yeah was, they have no idea it was awful so I ended out I, I called called around I looked for a lot of help I called the AMA because um, this actually happened when I was in DC with the AMA <laughs> um, and when I got these letters and so I talked to the the representatives from the AMA and they're like look there's nothing we can do why don't you talk to your state uh, medical society so I did I talked to my state medical society and their lawyers and they're like yeah you know what we can't help you either you you should just pay so I paid, and I got my board certification back within seconds. I got it back. <laughs> um, and I, within a matter of hours, Blue Cross Blue Shield relented, and they never sent another letter out to my patients. Um, they never sent another letter telling them that I was a you know, provider either. So it was just kind of this gray zone. And I didn't actually realize what had happened until later that summer, um, I had a family that I hadn't seen in a long time, a young mom with um, breast cancer. Um, I hadn't seen the kids in a, a year, and so I, when I saw her name on the schedule with the kids, I was like, oh my gosh, I hope she's okay, because I haven't heard from her in a while, and the kids are behind on their physicals. And I right. went in the room, and um, she looked great, and so we talked about her health, and she's like, yeah, you know, I'm, I'm fine, I you know, made it through all of my treatment, but um, we left the office because we got a letter from your um, from Blue Cross Blue Shield and mm-hmm. he left the office and she's like we were just you know didn't know what to do and I was in all my treatment so we just kind of went to the ER and urgent care for all of our <laughs> our care and I'm sitting there going this mom in the middle of her cancer treatment is taking her kids to ER urgent care places that don't know her kids don't know her um, far more stressful than it needed to be at a time when she didn't need that and that it was really it was upsetting to me it was, it was frustrating that that's what happened. It was just from not paying the money that they have that much power. Right. And if you look at it from a Blue Cross standpoint, not that you re- I really want to look, but, you know, we're trained to be empathetic. So if we look at it through Blue Cross Blue Shield's eyes, it was a bad deal for them because they had patients who were seeking care at expensive alternatives to going to where they have an established relationship with a physician. Like, it would have made much more sense right away to remind them, <laughs> remind their patients that you are actually still, right. you know, now... A qualified doctor now that you've shelled up your money. None of this makes any sense. Well, when th- things yes. don't make any sense, you just have to kind of question if there are other other motives at play and more power and control because this clearly wasn't in Blue Cross Blue Shield's best interest. Right. In this case, it is it is unusual because <clears throat> so when we're talking about main certification, all of physicians pretty much go through a residency program program uh, where they get certified through their their specialty board. They're what twenty I think in the country and. Um, and so, you know, mine's anesthesia, Meg's is, is pedi- pediatrics. And uh, once you get certified, then you used to be up to 1990 or so, I think it was, that you used to be certified for life. You're a certified consultant in whatever specialty it was. Now, of course, you have to do what's called maintenance certification, which initially was a, a simple process. Like you take a test once every couple of years, every 10 years usually for most specialties. Uh, but now it's become a bigger, it's become a big business, right? Now you're taking tests, you're doing all kinds of training modules, you're doing conducting studies, you're taking special um, CME courses, which is continued medical education, and oftentimes purchased through your specialty boards, and so your specialty boards or your specialty society, and so your specialty society, which used to protect you from, well, uh, threats to your profession, are now in many ways threatening your profession, because, <laughs> I mean, they, they were initially, so, you know, if there were if you're an orthopedic surgeon and there's suddenly podiatrists who are doing hand surgery or something, they'd say, you know, this is probably not a good idea. And so your special your orthopedic specialty society would say, we need to we need to have the state look at this. This is a you know a wise thing to have happening. Uh, but now you have this this same society that in, 
now people are losing their jobs because they're not maintaining their certification for whatever reason. You were a you were a resistor in for the financial aspect of it, but certainly people would say, "Well, this is a dumb study," or "I don't have time," or "I've got you know I got sick and couldn't finish complete the requirements or whatever." And so now, now you have this society that is that is financially incentivized to to um, provide testing and and to help you get certified mm-hmm. through the board. Mm-hmm. And so this provides a sort of a perverse incentive for these these societies, which you before you would be a member of them because it would for networking reasons, for you know maybe finding employment, for getting especially specific conferencing and educational information, journals and things like that. And now they are finding alternative streams of revenue, uh, which are detrimental to, I guess, your your practice and your ability to practice medicine. And so that's that's sort of the weird thing about this too. What is hard to understand is the why the insurance companies care so much. I mean, I think there's the 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 reason they do it, and this is I think alluded to when I talked to Dr. Fisher in episode nine, is that there is a data aspect of it that they are looking for because they get all your data information from your board. So your board gives them the your they well for one thing tell you if they're you're certified. So that's why the insurance company knows immediately and they're paying money to get this information to the boards. So the boards get the money from the insurance companies, from the hospitals to make sure for the certification, but also your data as far as your personal information and, you know, your practice habits, I suppose, and all this kind of stuff, which is valuable to the insurance company. Yeah. Like early on, I thought it was just laziness and they just weren't educated on what board certification was. So we actually early, I remember early on, I was like, well, maybe they have this as part of the requirement. They just say board certified. They don't understand that board certified is something different now. It's not just passing your boards once that maybe they don't understand what MOC is. So we actually right. sat down and tried to explain it to them and they, they fully understand, but it doesn't, it does not make sense to me that they would, certain younger doctors are going to force them to keep doing this. And the older doctors, they seem to be fine if they aren't doing MOC. It's, it, it is very bizarre how they discriminate against a certain group of physicians, but don't care if another group does it at all. It's, it is a very bizarre scenario. And they have many, of other, many other ways to figure out if I'm a good doctor. I mean, they have other measures that I'm meeting and they're, you know, things that they make me do to show that I, you know, I'm a good provider in their eyes. It's, it's a very bizarre, I don't get it. Right. Well, I mean, I think if you're from the, if you're looking at it from their perspective or from the, let's say from the, the uh, specialty board, uh, they know that they're going to get far less resistance if they just make people who are new diplomats, people who are coming out of the residency program. So they can say, we're going to institute this new thing. Don't worry. It's not going to affect you. Just the people who are coming out of training now. And so these people, so most docs are busy. They're doing thing. They probably, for one thing, they probably don't even know about it because if they're not involved, you're, just not going to, unless you're up on, you know, stuff, you may be in the academic centers, they might know. And so, so for them, it's make, so for the special boards, it makes it easy because they get the immediate buy-in or they have very little resistance because just people who are coming into the profession who have to pay whatever they charge anyway, because you, you just did four years of medical school training, plus you did four, three to five to six years of residency training. You're not going to suddenly say, well, I'm not going to get board certified because your ability to find a job anywhere is pretty much zero and that's and that's oftentimes dictated by the physicians themselves who don't want to hire somebody who's not board certified because usually it suggests there's a lack of some sort of significant problem with lack of quality or knowledge base or something with the physician coming out of training if they were not to pass boards generally speaking um so i think i think from that standpoint it's why it why it passed so it got through so easily but the insurance companies i think it's just because they get the they get the the data of, of our practice habits and and that they're willing to play the long game and say, well, we don't care if the, the whole grandfather thing because we're just going to play the support certification because eventually those guys who are grandfathered, they're all going to be dead or retired. And so this then all that will be left are people who are forced to be part of the system. It, it is, it's a huge problem. I don't... It's a huge problem, I think, because it is a monopoly situation. I mean, we actually went to Blue Cross Blue Shield of Michigan and asked, you know, there are alternatives to ABMS certification. There's National Board of Physicians and Surgeons. And we asked specifically, could this be an alternative? And they told us, no, you can only, you have to purchase your board certification from one specific company in order to see your patients. And that is a huge problem um, that they have a, absolute monopoly over this and these boards I, I think sometimes people get confused I think that the boards are somehow like a government entity or regulated in some way it's completely unregulated it's com- completely we have no control whatsoever of what they require what they charge no one is really 
there's no oversight in this at all. It's not like your state board of medicine where, you know, your elected officials approve and appoint people that are on the boards. And if some, if your state board of medicine is kind of getting unruly, you could actually try to fix it. You can't fix these boards like you can any other government entity. They're private. That's what's so right. frustrating about it. They can require whatever they want. If they want to charge me $1,300 every year, I'd have to keep paying if I want to see my patients. Right, absolutely. And there's no... And there's, yeah, they can do whatever they want and there's, and there's no recourse. And what's bizarre to me too is there really is, there seems to be very, very few ways to fight back. I'm, I think we're slowly starting to fight back a little bit. Like, you know, Wes Fisher, when he was talking about the lawsuit, mm-hmm. that, that's been a long time coming. I'm just amazed that no smart lawyer out there has realized how much money they could make suing these boards. And I don't think many physicians would care if they made a boatload of money suing these boards so long as they didn't have to do MOC anymore. I'm just amazed they've gotten this far for so long with right. anyone suing them. Well, and I think, um, you know, that it, unless you are familiar with someone or something, entity, you may not know there's that there's that opportunity, right? Now, I'm like... I, I tend to think the lawyers are, can find pots of money all over the place, when, even when I didn't even imagine them being there. But, um, you know, I think they look at these nonprofit boards and they probably did not think that there was that there was a case against them, probably. I mean, that's just my guess. I mean, now that there is, I mean, there's, I think there's blood in the water now. So now I think these boards are in trouble right. from a legal I mean, standpoint. That's definitely one arm. The legal arm, I think, is right. one direction. I mean, initially, I think we thought if we just asked the boards to stop doing what they're doing, they would listen. <laughs> right. Well, they, I mean, they, they are our colleagues, right? I mean, they are, I mean, for mine, my, they're fellow anesthesiologists. So there's, why would they not listen to what anesthesiologists yeah. are saying overwhelmingly? That's, I mean, we went and I, I have like seven or 8,000 signatures of pediatricians that signed a, a petition asking the boards to stop doing this. And if we thought, oh, they'll listen to us, and we signed the petition, and we sent them the signatures, and they didn't care. I mean, why would right. they? So they're they're not going to change. Why would they? They're making tons of money off of us. Um, so they're they're not going to change their ways. And, and that was that was the easy way, right? They, right. They and you can't work. and you can't withhold money, right? I mean, so because they have they can compel you to to pay, yeah, and, as they did with you. I mean, and you can go to your um, ask these insurance companies to stop doing this, and actually. Michigan, Michigan State Medical Society has had policy against um, requiring board certification. I mean, any, not even just MOC, board certification for insurance participation. They've right. had it for 20 years. And the Medical Society hasn't been able to convince Blue Cross Blue Shield to stop this. So that's the other army. Like, well, we can't even talk to the insurance companies. They're not going to listen. Right. And so, I mean, if you look at the, the solutions, there are, there's, a, there's the the legal arm, I guess you'd say, suing them. There's trying to go, trying to in person sort of within your society. I mean, you would, you would, you would suspect that your, that your specialist society would stand up for the physicians within that specialty. Now, obviously the people who come who are serving on the board probably came from physician, physician leadership. Most of these societies are probably run primarily by academics or people who are within academic medicine, not always, but usually. And even those who are not, um, I know like uh, it was, I think it was pediatric board, right? It was someone who basically ran on the platform that I'm going to end MOC and yeah. fight him. The and he got there. Presidents, yeah. Right. American, uh, and American they win pediatrics. with that strategy. <laughs> but then they get there and they find out that, well, they if I do that, I lose half the revenue to my society. Yeah. My society falls. I can't, I got to lay people off. I can't do as much as we were before. And so their financial incentive now is, is, uh, is, compelled board certification similarly just like with the ama where the ama has represents maybe what 10 percent of physicians in the country i'm not even sure what it is now obviously if people think oh ama well that they, they represent physicians and legal and politically that's probably the case but they but very few physicians are a member of it but it doesn't matter to the ama because they have the alternative revenue stream right where they have the coding books so any diagnosis it has a code you know for a diagnosis or for a procedure and guess who has the only trademark or copyright, I guess, to that is the AMA. So they get all the revenue from all those books sold. So it's not like you can say, represent me on MOC or I'm, or I'm not going to be a member. They're going to be like, fine, don't be a member. You'll still buy our books because you have to get paid for the third party. <laughs> Very few physicians are outside a third party system. And so you're, you're compelled to be you know, complicit in, in their strategy. So we talked at the very end of last episode with you, episode one, <laughs> about your multiple, the multitude of websites that you tend to hold and yes. 
And strangely enough, about uh, two or three weeks after that episode, you created another website. Right. <laughs> so, so why don't you tell us about State of MOC? Okay. So um, the website is stateofmoc.com. And that came from um, just I, my inbox was just getting flooded with people asking, you know, I, I see what happened in Texas. Does my state have legislation? You know, where is this, you know, what's going on with the legislation in my state? And I, I had a spreadsheet and I was trying to keep track of it and um, I just couldn't keep track of it. So the most logical thing to do in my <laughs> mind was build a website. So I kind of hunkered down for a weekend, you know, went into the depths of the web and created a website um, basically to solve this problem for myself, which was I needed to keep track of all of this legislation um, and where it was at. And it was it was pretty cool to put it together and realize, and if you go to the website, there's a map that... Um, shows uh, what states have got um, legislation that's introduced, uh, states that have passed full MOC legislation. By full, I mean it um, it addresses the three problems, so um, requiring MOC for licensure, for hospital privileges, and insurance participation. That's that's full MOC, you know, gold standard legislation. There are some that have had then starter legislation, which just says, you know, MOC can't be required for a license, which it isn't required for a license in any state. So it's just kind of a starter legislation that you then, you've, you've talked to your lawmakers, they understand the issue, but then you need to keep pushing forward to actually make real legislation that addresses the problem, which is hospitals and insurers. Um, it was really cool to look at it. You know, it, I had fun clicking all the different states. There are 30 states that have, in one way or another, introduced legislation. And that's stunning to me because you think about, I mean, this is 100% a grassroots physician effort. I mean, we are not lawmakers. We're not you know, in this realm at all. And we've only been doing this a couple of years, right? You know, probably two to three years. Yeah. Um, and I, I think Michigan, we were one of the first ones that had legislation three years ago. It didn't go anywhere, so we had to reintroduce it. But 30 states. And most states are not full-time legislatures either. So that means you really have to have your stuff in order to be able to catch it on a cycle where you can actually introduce legislation. So I, it's pretty amazing. I think. Yeah. No, I, it's fun go, going to each state and kind of seeing what's going on. Uh, and I think you have them color coded for like good states, bad states. So. <laughs> and states I think we've done it a little bit. It's done, right. Yeah. Some dabbled. Yeah. Kind of, yeah. And Michigan, we've had, I mean, thanks in large part to your efforts, I think, you know, in the state of Michigan that you, you sort of put it, you, f- you forced it into the forefront with some legislators. I mean, it has not been successful in passing, not but but I mean, I hope so. Cause I mean, the thing that happened to me with Blue Cross Blue Shield, that's, crazy that isn't happening in other states i haven't heard of that happening like that aggressive of behavior happening in other states and in michigan i know many physicians who have lost their ability to see patients with blue cross blue shield because of moc so i'm hoping that michigan is able to do it but um yeah it, it's a pretty it's a pretty cool thing to go and see i'm i'm really proud of what people have done it's i well i'm more amazed that in a weekend you could build a website that <laughs> I would. I might have been able to put together a blog. I, my website for my show took me. I don't know, like a month and a half to do. So, but I've only got a couple. Yeah, I guess. I guess that's. Yeah, that's something I'm probably not going to do. But, um, yeah, it's very interesting too when you look at the MOC issue and how uh, every state is different. Right, the problems are different. So I was talking to you before. Well, you just mentioned now the insurance companies in Michigan are the one. And we'll just say, I think we just point out Blue Cross Blue Shield. They're the main perpetrators in the state that I'm aware of. Yeah, other insurers in Michigan don't care. Right. And in other states, Blue Cross Blue Shield seems indifferent, right? Right. So because every Blue Cross Blue Shield is actually a separate entity in each state, which people may or may not realize. And yet in another state like Texas, well, then the hospitals are the ones who are going crazy because they want to have absolute control over making sure that you're board certified through the specific board. Um, What's interesting is we oftentimes make the the distinction. So someone will come, you'll have, uh, someone will say, well, do patients care if you're board certified or not? And our general line is people really don't care. I think part of that is because they, I think most patients assume you're knowledgeable in this, especially if you say you're a pediatrician or whatever. Uh, but the other day, last week, I had a patient who said, so are you board certified? And I, I thought it was really funny, which I've, cause I've never gotten that question before. Right. And so I thought, oh, this was finally my chance to ask the question I've been wanting to ask patients for so long when they ask about board certification. So I asked him, the patient, I said, so 
do you mean someone who's board certified by the American Board of Medical Specialties or the National Board of Physicians and Surgeons? <laughs> That's awesome. Right. So, of course, he had no idea. And he was just joking anyway because he was just making a joke about board certification. Because, again, everyone assumes you're board certified, you're a qualified, competent physician who sees them in, you know, in any setting. Right. But... Oh. Of course, he had he had not heard of either one, and so the the whole point, of course, is about when it comes to board certification. No one really knows. I mean, at least the general population is not in any way clamoring for board certification, despite what the boards try and convince us is the case. Exactly. They want people who are competent and who are well qualified to do the job. We all go through the board certification process for the most part. I'd say that that it, there's validity to that process. There's certainly. I think reasonable arguments to make about certain aspects of it and things that might need to be reformed, whatever. But the fact that you go through the training program, you're qualified to get out, you've passed all your tests, you do all the things that you need to qualify. At that point, you're done. Then it's lifelong learning. You're oftentimes going to subspecialize in things. And so learning about things that are not in any way related to your field or to your sub subspecialty it takes away from your ability to learn and be knowledgeable. And that subspecialty takes away from things in your family and your life because contributes to burnout. So anyway, I thought that was a very interesting Fascinating. interaction. No, actually, the, the year where I, I was going to not do my board certification, you know, I didn't pay and I was like, I'm done. I'm not doing this anymore. You know, um, that was the first year I actually went and did a CME of my own choosing. I was so excited. I was like, I haven't been able to go and do just a plain old CME of my choice for a long time. Yeah. It's been so wrapped up in just buying the product from American Board of Pediatrics. I couldn't do anything else. And so it was actually really exciting. I went to a CME on stuff that I, I needed to know, and it was fun. But then, you know, now I'm back in the right. race. I still have, you know, paid the money, and now I have to go back and start doing their stuff again. Right. Yeah, I mean, and someone, a critic would say, well, you can do CMEs you want all the time. Well, that's probably true. But if it doesn't, it's not a rational decision to start if you have you already have to if you already have to do, to do 50 one, hours in the state buying from other right. companies. It doesn't make any sense. Why would you do twice as much? I mean, there's other ways to get knowledge besides taking a, uh, a CME course. I mean, I've done them too as well for when I do, you know, perioperative nerve blocks and things like that courses because you have to learn how to do that. And that's outside the usual CME. So then I'm sort of doubling up on right. CME stuff. So I think there's been two interesting developments since we last spoke. Uh, one is this lawsuit, which I, from West Fisher that we've alluded to. Um, we'll talk about that second. But the first I want to talk about is the lawsuit that came down that I was completely unaware of that with the AOA, which is the American Osteopathic Association. Right. Um, for those of you listening, there are two different types of doctors. There are MDs and DOs. A DO is an osteopathic doctor. The MDs are allopathic. Uh, I think most people think of allopathic doctors when they think of doctors. A DO is basically, the osteopathic doctors are basically doctors who learn some manipulation and some um, physical sort of uh, physical therapy kind of ways of treating various conditions like, you know, back pain or whatever. I mean, there's, and there are various lengths of, or um, there are certain amounts, people do more than others and some never actually practice the osteopathic aspect of their practice. I mean, we have anesthesiologists who are, are osteopaths who obviously never do the manipulation. But anyway, they have their own board and they have their own association called the AOA. And there was a requirement for all of them to be members of the AOA to work and to get certified. That was a requirement. Now they have a different certification process, but part of their certification, which if, again, if you're not certified, you're not getting work anywhere where they were required to be members of the AOA is my understanding. Yes. That's crazy. And right, and so there are, I think, four plaintiffs I saw, four physicians, I yeah. think, who sued and and we'll say won. Now they settled, so we'll say they won though, because the AOA clearly saw that they were going to lose. I mean, that's how I guess I would interpret a settlement, but you know, certainly the plenty of malpractice cases that are settled because it's just not worth fighting for like you know, hundred dollars for like a broken tooth or something like that. So We'll say it's a victory because they use a legal system to decouple your certification process with the AOA. Now, I think there's some caveats to that, and I'll try and figure that out in the future, but it, it introduced an, another way for physicians to fight back, right? Because we've talked about the legislative aspect, and here in Michigan, I'm sure as it is in many states, the lobbyists you're up against are very powerful, whether it's the hospital association or the you know the medical society, or not medical societies, but maybe the the medical specialty boards. Right. Or for us, we're right next door to ABMS. So they, it's just a short right. drive from Chicago, Chicago mm -hmm. to come to Lansing, you know, and be at our hearings. So Right. 
or, or have or pl- and they'll plant people at our yes, hearings they too. Will. <laughs> we had the, someone who pl- pretended to be uh, like a average kind of person, and yeah, then it turns out they were. Parent. And it turned out um, she was actually uh, working with the American Board of Pediatrics. She came and testified how important it was for doctors to be board certified. And I thought, man, that's crazy that someone would know. A normal parent would know about board certification, but sure enough, no, she was. She wasn't normal. She was a plant. She was from the American Board of Pediatrics, and not declared right during no, this she testimony didn't at all. Now, did it sway the the legislators? It may have. May have. I mean, they, you have it's a, you have a stalled out. That comes in and you know gives a, a very compelling story. You know, it, it may sway them. Yeah, and it was it was an interesting story. She was talking about diabetes and seizures, and yeah. I mean, it was just everything turned out okay, but it's because she claimed because of one of the docs was board certified and they figured it all out because they were board certified. They were more up to date than the ones who were before. And it's entirely possible that she's right that the, someone was better physician than the others or they figured things out clearly had nothing to do with board certification, but that was her contention. But the fact that she was went there and in no way disclosed that her employer was one of these sort of specialty boards. I mean, it's, it was, it was eye opening to me, the games that they'll play, you know, and, and how much is at stake, I think for these boards, how much legislation like this, um, it, it's, uh, it will challenge them for sure. Right. And, and so I guess the, the point is that, that it, at least we're not forced to have, because we clearly can't talk to people, we're not forced with just using the legislative arm to get this done. So that could, brings us to Dr. Fisher and his plan. So the, the case against the AOA was one of sort of, I guess you'd say, collusion or antitrust maybe because they were forcing the a- people to be members of the AOA his case is going to be far more extensive because if you listen to episode nine, which if you haven't, you absolutely have to, uh, although I've had a number of physicians contact me and say, thanks for the episode, but I almost drove off the road. Or I almost ran into people, <laughs> caused a road rage. <laughs> it was, I mean, I get probably more fired up there than I have any other episode, but it, but there's a lot of corruption, I'd say, pretty clearly right there. I mean, we're talking tens of millions of dollars. We're talking offshore accounts. We're talking about real estate purchases that are questionable flying around first class all over the country, all in these nonprofit specialty boards and which are taking money from physicians and causing all and sorts of disruption. Physicians. Harming them, yes. yes. Harming patients, which ultimately harms patients, yes. right? Yeah. And and so there's I think a much better case here against that. But what's interesting and and Wes can't Dr. Fisher can't uh speak directly to this. But it sounds as if it's not just the ABMS, which is the over um, the overarching board that all the other specialty boards are under, or not specifically just the ABIM, which is the Internal Medicine Board, but that this is probably a suit that's going to involve lots of people. Um, it's going to be far more extensive, like the ACGME, which is the American Accreditation for Graduate Med- or American College of Graduate Medica- Medical Education, I believe is what it stands for, and that's where they. The, They've set the rules, promulgate the rules for the training programs for medical schools and for residencies. Uh, but that also involves probably insurance companies. Yep. A lot of these um, pharmacy benefit managers, which we talked about in episode five, uh, that and maybe some group purchasing organizations, these middlemen in medicine that are driving up, you know, jacking up the prices of medical care, that they are buying this data or they're selling it. I mean, that this data is being collected from physicians against their will. And by the way, some of that data is your data. If you are are you in a medical office, you may participate unwittingly in um, in medical studies. I mean, we're not just talking about hand washing studies; there are other ones that you know change your practice, change the way we practice that are uh, we're compelled to participate in by the uh, MOC process. So that is your data, and that's you in there too. And so these companies are buying up this all this stuff, and so I th- I think it's very far reaching. And there's a fundraising effort. Uh, I guess some sort of like crowdfunding. I don't, there's a certain term he uses. It's not a GoFundMe, but it's something like that. And they're getting close. Really close. And, and I would, and I would ask, absolutely. I'm going to ask all my physician friends to pitch in. I pitched in. I'm sure you have as well. But I think, I think patients should pitch in. I mean, I think if you, I know it's not your profession, but it's your healthcare. My goodness. You're the ones you're affected by this more than, more than me. I mean, it's my, it drives me crazy, but I mean, I get by, but, you're losing so a lot your of good people. Doctor pe- retires three to five years earlier than they would have otherwise. You know, when your doctor decides to not be, you know, affiliated with the hospital anymore, you know, and they just change tact or change what they're going to do, just because they, it's an overwhelming process to go through sometimes. You know. Yeah, I mean, it's. Uh, 
you're seeing people with physicians, you're seeing twice, what is it, twice the rate of suicide in the population of the physician yeah. ranks versus the general population. It's not just because of MOC. I'm not going right. to make that contention. There are a lot of things going to it, but this is absolutely caused, it's a huge stressor and, and caused a lot of disruption in, you know, and then disruptions seeing patients because you know, you got to take time away. Maybe you give up your weekends and to do these testing and board reviews and it costs tens of thousands of dollars to get through this process. It's something that I think, you know, if you got 50 bucks, I think it's worth tossing towards this cause because there aren't, this is something that can radically change. I think radically change healthcare. In a good way. In a good way. Yeah, I think this helps everybody. So I would ask that you all do that. I mean, after you're done contributing to my show on Patreon, I think that's the thing too. But in all seriousness, I think that's um, that's an important thing that Dr. Fisher's doing. And I think it's going to be successful. I mean, it's a long, with any sort of legal um, legal case, it's going to be a long grind. It's going to be years before it's resolved, well, I it's imagine. Also, it's, if you look into MOC, you start to become overwhelmed because it seems like everyone has a a piece of this. It's so tangled. Yes. Like the hospitals and you're like, well, why are the insurance companies caring? And then you're like, oh, it's because it's, you know, it's a, is it a HEDIS measure? And what's HEDIS? And you start looking into these things and you start seeing the same names over and over again on boards and it's overwhelming. And so I think it's just a person looking into it there. It's so tangled and it's so, um, so many people working together on this. <laughs> You know, that's what a lawsuit like this, I'm sure when you get into it, it's just there's so many players that are responsible for this. There's a lot of collusion and whether it's an intentional collusion or, you know, some guy sits on four boards or he serves on some commissions and, and, you know, some of them are government commissions and or at least in some way have some sway because they're affiliated with CMS, the Center Medical uh, Medicaid Medicare Services. Uh, And then, you know, there are people who are involved in security services. Uh, I'm going to actually link to the video from that Dr. Fisher put out that is on the, I don't know if you've seen this about the internal medicine boards, uh, the oh, testing. Yeah. <laughs> it is, it is stunning that they have, they basically have, <laughs> you have to, uh, prove that there's nothing in your room. You have to lock the door. You have to take your computer and grab it and walk and spin yeah. in a circle. You, you actually, it's, it's worth going to the American board of internal medicine, their website and um, where they tell you how to do this new check-in. And I, I really wish someone would like auto tune this into a dance because it is awesome. It's, it's ridiculous what they're making doctors do. And it, I, I watch it and I was laughing. We have to, you know, show behind your ears that you don't <laughs> you turn your tie around. Like you have to turn your computer. Yeah. And scan your entire room. And if there's something in your room that is uh, inappropriate, I don't know. Um, like a, I don't know. Inspirational yeah. saying that might inspire. You need to turn that down, you know? <laughs> right. I, it is, it, it is, so it is, it is treating physicians like criminals i mean it it's really i mean i sit there I'm like okay this is the office i go into when i'm done seeing patients or between patients or when i'm in here looking things up and suddenly now everything i would use to take care of my patients that is wrong i can't have any of those resources that i would use to take good care of my patients i need to remove all of that to be able to do whatever this is this right thing. well and to be fair it's the i think only the internal medicine boards are the ones doing this so far the, yes and that's the key right so far right now i mean it's interesting the american board of anesthesia changed their their process so we used to take the test once every 10 years and now they switched it now you take it every year but you're just doing these little questions every all the time is what sort of their plan i mean in some ways i think it's it's almost a clever way of you pay the same amount over the full 10 years but now you're paying every year as opposed to just the one big chunk. American Board of Pediatrics did that as well too. And it's like instead of an every 10 year test, it's a, it's a monthly test. I'm like, that's a quick way to make someone go crazy is every single month, nonstop questions and questions and questions. I mean, you just, at a certain point, you're like, who are you? Why did you suddenly come in my life and completely monopolize my education? You know, yeah. I, mean, I think people are happy that it's not a 10 year secure exam, but the alternative, I'm like, why do these people have so much control over what I'm learning? Like, why are they the only ones I'm allowed to learn through? Right. And, and again, we have no, you have no way to stop that, but I think we are. I, I always believe the good will win. I'm hoping. And, and, uh, and I think I'm optimistic. <laughs> I, I feel like though, compared to where we were a year ago, I think we've, I think we've made progress. I think you've we seen other, well, there are, I mean, you look at states like South Carolina recently passed yeah. the triple, the trifecta of, yeah. of Tennessee. Certification. I was really worried. Tennessee actually, they put their bill out there, and it was, 
it was a total fail. I mean, they were just got hammered. And so they just kind of passed a really white bill that said, you know, MOC wasn't required for a license. And you're like, awesome. You passed a bill that, <laughs> that no one requires this something point. that wasn't, you know, you didn't have to do anyway. But they didn't stop, actually. The Tennessee Medical Association was phenomenal. They took that opportunity to, they passed the law as it was. And they're like, we're going to keep on educating lawmakers. And they did. They kept on educating them. And then this year, they passed the other two aspects of it just you know a few months ago so i mean that's amazing that they kind of got their foot in the door let's educate the lawmakers and they they didn't stop and they pushed and now they have full moc legislation right which is very cool it's a model for other states that only have that partial legislation in place. so it's interesting too and you look at this because i mean i think it from a lobbying standpoint the same lobbying groups are there i mean you're still fighting the hospital association you're fighting the the insurance companies you're fighting i mean that hasn't changed that's where lots of money is i think it's can't be different than in our state so we've been fairly unsuccessful in, in moving things forward at this point. And we've gotten some hearings, which I guess is something. But do you, what do you think the difference is between those states and, our, and ours? Or, I mean, there are plenty of states that haven't done anything. So, I mean, I don't want to brag on Michigan if because... look at the map, there is a kind of a dearth of movement around Chicago. <laughs> so, so, so you think proximity to Chicago is where... just time right around here, yeah. I think. So... It is. It's just a short drive from Chicago to Lansing, and it, you know they've got their their lobbyists there, and so we've had a hard time in Michigan. Ohio had the same problem too. So I don't know. I so I'm it's a proximity it, thing. It, maybe. I think it's a proximity thing. Um, but South Carolina is right next to Raleigh, which is where a lot of the well, at least that's where the anesthesia board is. I guess I don't know that all the boards are there. I think a lot of them are moving to Chicago, so maybe. It's very interesting. It's an issue. I had not thought of the fact that it may be a geographic problem. Then maybe we just need to have our ducks in a line better. Maybe. Because, like, I know when we went to the, we had a couple of medical societies in the state who opposed it. Yeah. And, and after talking with them, they now. They're now neutral them. or yeah, supportive. Support yeah. Neutral in the legislation. So you just have to. It's a slow process of education. But. And, and maybe, maybe it depends on your advocate. I, I would say, like, uh, our, I think our society's done a decent job. I know they've. You could always say you could do more, but you know they're getting their resources are limited somewhat. And until you get physicians organized and coordinated and stuff, I mean, it's not we're not taking down something. It's not an easy thing to to fight. So it's a big fight. Yeah, right. <laughs> I mean, I think you know our the the young the the physician that actually introduced our legislation. I don't think he realized what a big fight it was going to be. I think he. Um, it seems common sense. Yeah. Like, why would you require people to do things that? Yeah. It's don't just help that when you suddenly have to fight against insurers and the hospitals it got dicey yeah so. and i think yeah i think the the problem is you probably didn't realize how many opponents you had like if you can have one and versus three opponents i mean i think that's so so if we had a step-by-step guide what do you need to do so i think you need to listen to the episodes we talked about earlier with episodes one and uh, nine to get a better feel for the this full scope of this moc uh, i think you know visiting west fisher's um, information, watching that uh, intro medicine video is hilarious. Uh, they, and the person just is so complicit, like, oh, okay. And they just kind of, you know, like practically turn their shirt and pockets inside out. And it's like, it's it's almost like a spoof. You think it can't be real. So watch that. Um, visit State of MOC. I think it's a great way to find out wh- where your state is, and whether you're a physician or not. I mean, we all probably know physicians who listen to this show, so you can at least tell them what's going on. Contribute to that lawsuit. And then I guess what do you how if you if you're in a state like I think Wyoming is one doesn't have anything. Yeah. If I'm a doc in Wyoming, yeah. what do what do I do to try and get the just is it just finding a state legislator and say hey this is a problem and well, some of it I mean you go to your I think your state medical society is probably where I would start because they're kind of the ones that are going to go to your lawmakers. But most states I would say they have the state medical sites have policy in place um, that would support legislation, you know, and if they don't, I mean, you can change your medical society, I guess, too. But the AMA actually has model legislation that's written as well. So that's actually on the state of MOC website. I um, mean, you could go to a lawmaker and say, look, this is this is the AMA's model legislation. Can we can we get this moving? And they'll say, how's your medical society? And they'll say, oh, I'll go talk to them, too. And if you can get the medical society on board, it should be it should be pretty easy to get these things through if you can just get it moving. Right. And I think it, like most of these things, it's probably just need to know the right legislator mm-hmm. and get the, and you have to work on a couple of them because if you just have one champion, it's probably not enough to get through. I mean, I guess every state legislature is. Yeah, I mean, obviously own. if there's a lawmaker who's a, in healthcare, that's a great place to start. You know, if they're a nurse or a physician or something, you right. know, they're going to understand it a little bit more. 
So there are other there are other practitioners who are not physicians who have certification as well. What would be the advantage or disadvantage to trying to get them involved in the sort the same sort of endless testing certification process? I mean, I think in Michigan we have um, the podiatrists have shown interest in it as well. You know, so um, I mean, I I mean, I've just my own field nurse nurse anesthetists they have to take certification all the time too, and I don't see them resisting at all, but they all grumble about it. But I don't know if it's just the nature of nursing that just tend to be a little bit less independent minded or want to like fight things like this more. I don't, I don't know the difference, but is that, is that onerous yet or is invasive? Yeah, they have quite a bit of stuff. I mean, I'm just looking at the anesthesia. They take a test every 10 years and they do a lot of the other CME stuff, which I guess, again, no one's against people doing continued education. I think that's very important to stay up in the field, but, um, I don't know. Is that something that we should look they into may, trying I mean, to find other? At some point, want to take it up as well too. Is know? it a different fight or is it the same fight? I don't. I, I, I don't know much about their certification. It may be a similar fight. You know. Mm-hmm. Again, I, I don't. It's funny how with MOC, it wasn't the ten-year test that really tipped everyone. No, it wasn't. Yeah, it, it wasn't was the continual, nonstop dripping of information <laughs> that you had to keep. You know, doing stuff and paying money that kind of tip doctors over. Right. Well, anything, final thoughts before we go? So. Any new websites you created since we last talked? Uh, no, I think I have like four or five though. It's, it's crazy. <laughs> I have a hard time keeping track of my Yeah, websites. the speed, speed bump medicine I know is one. I've, um, I don't cook, so I no, got speed bump kitchen I have, and then I have, you know, we have our pediatric, um, MOC website as well. Too. Like the petition site. Yeah, You've the got the petition state, petition of site, state of MOC. What else do you have? You must have others. I can't tell you all of them. <laughs> Some of them are secret. It's like, oh, <laughs> that's even more interesting. We'll have to try and I'm bring... I'm behind you. them, but you don't know that I'm behind them. Oh, okay. I might know some of those, actually. <laughs> well, there's not collusion just with the bad guys, apparently. <laughs> <laughs> well, thanks so much for spending... <laughs> Spending a couple, a couple, well, almost an hour now of your time in the studio. Thanks for listening to the Paradox. If you like what the Doc is doing, please subscribe and leave a review on iTunes or Stitcher, and share the show with your friends. Become a supporting listener to get access to special bonuses at patreon.com forward slash the paradox. Show notes can be found at theparadox.com. Uh, this is and this is not for this week anyway, it's for the next following week. Have you listened to any other episodes? I listened to... Besides yours? I didn't even listen to mine. Did you not really? <laughs> I, I can't listen to myself. Oh, yeah. I get that. I had trouble with that. When I first started editing, I'm like, ugh, I sound terrible. But So, um, I listened to the outtakes. <laughs> I skipped part of You listened the last one minute. Of- <laughs> that was all I could handle. Um, yeah. Three.